You're listening to Ocean Currents, a podcast brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. This radio program was originally broadcast on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock, and I want to wish you all a happy new year in 2014. This is the first show of the year, and I'm looking forward to each month bringing more ocean topics to you on KWMR. On this show, I talk with scientists, educators, explorers, policymakers, ocean enthusiasts, adventurers, and more, all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our planet, the blue ocean. I bring this show to you monthly on KWMR from NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four national marine sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. And Cordell Bank is located just offshore of the KWMR listening radius off the Marin-Sonoma coast and is the topic of today's show today, which is really exciting. And just to reacquaint folks for where this place is, it's an underwater island about 20 miles west of Point Reyes, just north of San Francisco. It's a rocky underwater mountain, and it's at the edge of the continental shelf. So on one side, it drops off to really deep water, which is one of the reasons it is such an amazingly productive, biologically active area. Originally, it was explored in the 1980s by a nonprofit exploration group called Cordell Expeditions, and their explorations led to the designation as this place as Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, which is part of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's National Marine Sanctuary Program. A national treasure now, but still fairly inaccessible, not not due to regulatory exclusions, but because it's far offshore and rather deep. But today, we're going to be talking with a person that explored it. We're going to hear firsthand from a diver's recent experience just within the last few months diving on Cordell Bank. Matt Vieta is a member of the nonprofit organization Bay Area Underwater Explorers. And Matt recently headed up an expedition to Cordell Bank with a few other highly skilled divers. And we'll talk all about it today when we return. So stay with us. We'll be right back talking with Matt. Ocean Currents. My name is Jennifer Stock, and with me on the telephone is Matt Vieta from the Bay Area Underwater Explorers Group. And Matt, you are live on the air now. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you very much for inviting me on the show today. Thank you so much for starting off the new year where we can talk all about Cordell Bank. <laughs> um, so first, let's just dive in here a little bit and talk about what is this nonprofit group about, the Bay Area Underwater Explorers? Give us a little bit background on the organization and what you all do. Sure. Bay Area Underwater Explorers is a global underwater explorers affiliate. And I'd say that what we're most focused on is the conservation and exploration of the California coast. Uh, So we have a lot of very passionate divers, and we're not scientists or uh, professional explorers by any means. We all have day jobs, but we all share a passion for the aquatic, and we all, I would say, are really trying to raise awareness of the marine life on the California coast. 
Wonderful. And the Global Underwater Explorers, what is this a similar uh, group, but on a global level, and this is a local chapter of it? I suppose you could say that. Global Underwater Explorers is an organization that was founded to promote conservation, uh, education, and exploration of the underwater world, uh, underwater world. And I would say that Global Underwater Explorers is, for the most part, known for its educational and training efforts, uh, but it really grew out of deep cave exploration efforts. So the education and the uh, focus on exploration is very team-driven. So the, the training is very standards-based, and the, uh, the perspective is, I would say, very rigorous and, and team-oriented. And this is really for training and education for divers, those that get involved with the organization, right? This is correct, yes. Okay. And so what type of training or expectations do you have for divers that want to become a member of the Bay Area Underwater Explorers? So for to become a member of the Bay Area Underwater Explorers, we require the basic level of GUE training. And the first step in that training is called uh, GUE Fundamentals. And it's basically an introduction to the basic procedures and equipment configuration when you're working with more complex projects or team activities, having standardized training and equipment configuration is important. And this basically, this, this initial level of training more or less makes, makes sure that all of our members are on the same page from an underwater standpoint. And we don't have to worry about interacting differently because we have different configurations or because we communicate slightly differently. Uh, we then make sure that Basically, we're able to operate cohesively as a team. And I bet you that really increases the efficiency of working together underwater, but also for safety. It's such an important part of scuba diving. It is. That's true. I, mean, I think that safety and standardization really, as far as we're concerned, go hand in hand. And once you look at something like Cordell, where the dive plans and the amount of gear becomes significantly more complex, knowing that the people you're diving with uh, have the exact same tr- have their equipment configured in a way that's interchangeable with yours, both increases the safety and really... Hey, Matt, your your phone call is, is cutting out a little bit. Um, can you repeat that last sentence? Sure. Uh, it's, I said, especially if you're diving at a location like Cordell, where the equipment and the dive plans can be significantly more complex, the... Uh, Standardization really allows you to feel uh, safe within the team because you know exactly how your teammates' both equipment is configured as well as what their procedures would be in an emergency. Got it. Absolutely. So in the Bay Area and, and Northern California in general, tell us a little bit about some of the science missions that you're working on within the group, and and we'll go into the Cordell stuff in a little bit, but I'm curious, just some of the other science that you're all trying to help support. Sure. Like I said, none of us are professional scientists per se, but we do spend a lot of time underwater. And what we really try to focus on from a conservation and science aspect is sharing those observations both with scientists as well as the public. So one example of this is that we publish a field guide on our website. And this field guide had about 2,000 visits in 2012. We have about 1,500 photographs of local California marine life that are categorized by species so that local divers or 
Uh, anyone who's really interested in the California marine life can go to the website, look up the species, and see what they can actually find under the waters here. And I would say this has been one of our most visited efforts, which has been pretty exciting to see. It's a really great educational tool for educating divers about what it is they're seeing, because I know there's a big span of scuba divers, of folks who just want to go underwater but not necessarily see stuff, but there's people that really want to know what that stuff is and why is it unique and why is it important. So I think that's a really wonderful tool that you're helping provide and working with other organizations to kind of vet it. So tell, how did you guys get interested in Cordell Bank? It's out there. It's far offshore. It's not a lot known about diving it. So I'm really curious to hear your story of how you guys got interested in Cordell Bank. And girls, I should say. There was girls that there were girls that dove on Cordell Bank too. Very true. And the uh, I think Cordell Bank is one of those one of those areas that at least among divers and particularly technical divers is I would say almost mythical. Like all of us have really heard, had heard of Cordell Bank for a long time, and of course we had a we had heard of uh, Rob Schmieder's expedition and the, uh, the the more recent expeditions by uh, NOAA and then the, the the trip out there by the Cousteau Group. And it's a it's a deep location. It's very rarely visited. It has a reputation for an incredible incredible biodiversity and density of life, uh, which it uh, very, very, very much so deserves, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and it's something that we had really been talking about for 10 years. And it, it, it's the, the logistics of getting to the location have, have been preventing us more so than, than the desire. And you're a very interested, skilled group. So that tells me a lot because you're a group that could handle a mission like this, and it took you about 10 years to really plan for it. I hope that conveys to people how complex this place is. I, one of the things I worry about a lot as the education coordinator for this place is that as people get so m more intrigued by its beauty and its relatively untouched status, more people are going to go and see it. And I'm just hoping a lot of people that may not be up for the challenge don't try to take it on. <laughs> it's, it's certainly a very challenging dive site. We're doing dives in the depth range of Cordell Bank almost every weekend, I would say, off of the uh, Monterey Coast, Monterey Carmel area. Uh, so we have a fair amount of cold water deep diving experience as a group, and we have a large number of, of divers that are, that are trained and experienced in that regard. But Cordell Bank really, I would say, raises the risks a lot with that type of diving because it is 20 miles offshore. Uh, it's significantly more remote. And when you have these further off offshore sites, currents become, can become more unpredictable. Weather conditions can become more unpredictable. And both the currents and weather conditions can cause problems for the dive team, as well as with the, the surface support. So I think people can underestimate the amount of surface support that's required to do a dive like Cordell Bank. But being integrated in with the the boat and the with the dive team is, is really important for a site like that. How did, how did the group prepare for this dive? So in, in terms of the preparation, I would say that our main goal in planning the diving at Cordell Bank was to keep the plan as simple as possible and as close as possible to the type of diving that we normally do. I think that the, uh, 
uh, complexities and problems are more likely to arise when you're doing something different. So that for us, our focus was to make sure that we picked a weather window and had conditions that would allow the boat to easily travel to Cordell Bank and easily track divers on Cordell Bank. And then once we could manage good conditions, we more or less followed our standard procedures for diving that we would use on the on the uh, uh, Carmel area. Uh, and we did have you know, a, a couple of days where we did not get to dive because we were being so strict about the condi conditions we would allow. So at some place like Cordell, where it's significantly further out, you, you have a... Uh, you need a much narrower range of, of both of ocean conditions to be able to dive there than we would be able to tolerate, for instance, in the in the Monterey Carmel area. So you're putting a lot on the line there based on that need, and this is such a challenging area. I just I know you picked a good time of year in the fall, October, and that's typically a great time of year where we get some nice weather windows, but you can also get some horrible weather windows. So you guys are really lucky. You kind of nailed it. I understand there was um, a magic day that Cordell Expeditions or Bob Schmuter might have told you about that always got good conditions at Cordell Bank. And what was that day? Oh, I, I think we were about a week off from it. It was really close, though. It was about mid-October. I can't recall the exact date. Uh, I think I wanted to say it was... Uh, I wanted to say it was near the second week of October, and we were we started basically the the mid second week to third week of October, and ironically we had actually considered moving the uh, the expedition earlier to maybe late September, and and it ended up being that if we had done that we would not have been able to dive because there was not a single day we could have moved the dive boat from Monterey to Bodega Bay within the September time frame because of weather conditions. Right. So that's actually another really good question. In order to carry out this whole mission, you actually had to charter a dive boat all the way from Monterey Bay up to Bodega Bay to do this. There are no other boats in Bodega Bay that could support this? I wouldn't say that Bodega Bay is a normally a hot spot for technical diving, uh, but particularly with the more uh, aggressive diving that you would do at, at Cordell, it was really important for us to have a both a boat and a crew that we were comfortable with. Because in doing the deeper diving, having the boat crew be able to put you on the dive site, having them be able to pick you up and support the team appropriately is really an integral part for the diving. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that we had someone that we were comfortable with. And that was part of the risk of the expedition was choosing to do that and choosing the, the safer path of having a, a boat and crew that we knew would work at the risk of potentially not being able to dive due to weather. Got it. Really good. Yeah, you've, you're using the word technical diving a lot, and I'm just wondering, can you explain a little bit about what technical diving is compared to scuba diving or what makes it technical? Sure. Te te technical diving is a, a little bit of an odd term, and it generally refers to diving in conditions where you are not able to ascend directly to the surface. Uh, the easiest way, the easiest example of that would be, for instance, diving in a cave underwater. If you're in a cave 
and you have a problem, you can't just come up to the surface because you have rock above you. In open water or location, a deep dive like Cordell Bank, you have a, a similar situation in that if you spend long enough at 200 feet, for instance, and you ascend directly to the surface, you become at serious risk for decompression sickness or the bends. And because of this, in these situations where ascending to the surface is not advisable or practical, you really need to have additional training and, and equipment and experience to be able to handle problems underwater because you can't just ascend to the surface. You need to make sure that you complete your decompression in the case of the open water diving or in the case of a cave that you actually be able to swim out. So um, is there a different air mixture you might be using as opposed to regular compressed air on scuba? And did you use more than one tank? For for Cordell Bank, we did use helium-based mixtures, and that's because as you dive deeper, you become more susceptible to what's called nitrogen narcosis. And nitrogen narcosis, I guess the easiest way to describe it would be that the deeper you go, it almost feels like you, you're, you've consumed some amount of alcohol. Yeah, I've experienced it before. So does the helium mix reduce that? Does it eliminate it? It significantly reduces it. More or less, you add enough helium to the mixture so that you can maintain control over the extent of nitrogen narcosis you experience. So for the diving that we did at Cordell Bank, for instance, we used about 45% helium in our mixtures. Wow, that's so interesting. Does that um, limit? Can you do multiple dives in a day if you do a helium mix, or is it one dive and that's it? For the expedition, we were doing one dive a day, and that was primarily for logistics. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, in the afternoon, it, the afternoon has less predictable conditions from a weather standpoint. Uh, from and then uh, secondly, you involves a significant, significantly more gear on the boat. There's nothing permitting multiple. I mean, there's nothing preventing multiple dives in a day from a decompression standpoint, but you have to be a lot more careful when planning those sorts of dives. Yeah. And and it wasn't something that we decided was, was worth doing for this expedition. Interesting. Thanks for explaining that. For folks tuning in, this is Ocean Currents, and my name is Jennifer Stock. I'm talking with Matt Vieta from the Bay Area Underwater Explorers group, a, a local nonprofit in the Bay Area. And they, he's talking a little bit about a expedition they did diving Cordell Bank this past fall. So you did all this planning, all this technical gear. You got the team on the boat. What did it feel like the first day you're heading out to finally get out to Cordell Bank? The first day was a little bit surreal, partly because about a year prior, I had actually set the alarm on my phone to say, Cordell, to remind me every morning that I needed to get on the planning of Cordell Bank and make sure that it happened. And that first day of diving, my alarm went off in the morning and it said Cordell. And I thought to myself, wow, it's actually true this time. That's so <laughs> we're, cool. We're, we're getting on the boat and we're going out to Cordell. Uh, so we, we loaded the boat before sunrise and, and we had perfectly flat conditions. Uh, it, it was actually a, a beautiful morning uh, heading out of Bodega on the boat. And we headed out to, to a location called Cranes Point for our, our first dive. And uh, as we dropped into the water, 
there was a, I would say, a, a pretty strong surface current. We we actually had some really odd currents on this dive, and and we had, I would say, compared to the other days, maybe a little bit less visibility in the first 30 feet of water. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after we dropped through that, it just opened up to almost, I would say, maybe not crystal clear, but really, really great visibility, uh, although dark. So you, you, you had a uh, it, it was almost like a, a, a twilight underwater, but you could you could uh, uh, see really far. And we had an amazing number of fish. And one of the one of the things that really impressed me about this first dive was the density and diversity of invertebrate life on Cordell and on the reef is really impressive, particularly compared to Monterey Carmel area. And and the rockfish, where did that start? Was that because you get through the plankton layer, that thirty feet or so, and then are you drifting down through just blue water at that point? Or like, what depth do, do those rockfish really start? I would say that on this site, we started to see them at about thirty to forty feet off the bottom, which would have been around one hundred and twenty feet. You you would run into the large schools of rockfish. Mm-hmm. And what was that like swimming through? I've heard people say it's like swimming through mosquito hordes, or oh, uh, it, it, it was surreal being being surrounded by. I've never been surrounded by so many fish in my life. Wow, <laughs> that is a that 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 that's certainly certainly true. And it, it, in fact, there were some times where my buddy was about five feet away from me and and could not see him because he, he was obscured by all of the fish. That's amazing. And you're, you're just surrounded by this swirl of uh, a, a swirl of rockfish, which was really impressive. Just the, the number of fish is incredible. That's so cool. So were you just, I mean, I know for me when I've had the chance to dive and it's that first moment of seeing the habitat you've been so excited to see. I mean, what were you thinking? What, were, what did you feel like? I think that I was probably laughing underwater in my regulator. <laughs> <laughs> Just couldn't believe it, huh? It, it, it's. Uh, it, I think that, that that some of the days where we had just perfectly blue, clear water, and surrounded by thousands and thousands of fish, it's it's. I don't I don't even know if it's anything that you think about as much as just absorb it all in. It's a, it's a uh, maybe a less cerebral and more. Uh, visceral experience, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's so funny when it kind of takes over like that. It becomes this totally different thing. And how about the other crew? Were, were they sorted nearby? Were you all sorted together? Just spread out a little bit? I know you stay close with one buddy, but did you kind of go in different directions? I would say it depended on the site. There were there were some sites where there were, for instance, the last site we we dived had a very well-defined pinnacle and had uh, thousands and thousands of, of fish at the top. And, and the, the, the area at the top was pretty small. So in, in for that location, we more or less all stayed together. The first day, we really split up as three teams and explored around a little bit more. We use a dive propulsion vehicles underwater to both uh, travel against the current as well as to cover more ground. Uh, so as a team, we, as a group of divers, we split off into, uh, 
into different directions and basically then met back up at the top of the pinnacle at the end of the dive. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Now, um, we're going to be coming up on a half an hour break here in just a little bit. But, you know, one thing I should have mentioned earlier is I know you worked with our science staff at the Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary to prepare for this. Were there any specific science questions you were helping um, our science team with that that you were gathering information for? I think the, the science team was particularly interested in, in hydrocarl on the site, uh, as well as uh, the yellow-eye rockfish populations. So hydrocoral are like a stony coral that we have at Cordell Bank, and there's different locations for it, and it seems to be that they're in specific areas. And then the yellow-eye rockfish, I believe they're one of the species of rockfish that are, I'm not sure endangered, but are considered overfished in California. Does that sound right? Uh, that, 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 that's correct. And, and one of the impressive things about Cordell was the sheer number of yellow-eye rockfish that we saw compared to, for instance, the Monterey Carmel area. Adults or juveniles? I would say that we saw a lot more juveniles at Cordell Bank than we than we did adults. I was I was a little bit surprised with the I would say the 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 lack of adult yellow eye rockfish compared to what I was expecting at Cordell Bank. Mm-hmm. But overall, we saw a lot more both juveniles and adults than you would see in Monterey Carmel. For instance, I don't think that I've I, I've maybe seen maybe seen one adult yellow eye rockfish in all of the diving I've done in Monterey Monterey and Carmel. Yeah. We saw several on every dive at Cordell Bank. I know Cordell Bank is considered a pretty important spot for the recruitment or for young to be able to grow into adult fish for yellow eye rockfish. So that's really great information. But also on top of that science work, I know that for me, I was really excited about the opportunity for new imagery because you were all bringing out some fancy cameras and video um, video cameras. So that was another awesome benefit to the sanctuary. We have this amazing new imagery that um, you've all shared with us that we're really excited to use. We are going to take a short break here in just a little bit, Matt. Do you mind staying on the line for a little bit? Certainly. Okay. I'll be right back with you. For folks tuning in, this is Ocean Currents. My name is Jennifer Stock, and today we're talking with Matt Vieta from the Bay Area Underwater Explorers uh, group, a nonprofit based in the Bay Area. And they're, Matt's talking about their recent dive trip to Cordell Bank in October 2013, which is really amazing, being that it is such a challenging place to dive. We'll be back in a little bit on Ocean Currents. Ocean Currents today. I'm talking with Matt Vieta from the Bay Area Underwater Explorers Group, and we're talking about his recent dive trip to Cordell Bank, which is a phenomenally uh, interesting area, but rather challenging. So, Matt, welcome back. You're live on the air again. I'm sorry, wrong one. Matt, you're live on the air. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, so, I want to go back a little bit to some of the observations underwater. You were mentioning a couple. Um, things that you noticed that were different at Cordell Bank compared to the Monterey Carmel area. Have you dove or have others in the group dove up on the north coast at all, the Sonoma-Mendocino coast? 
A little bit, but not very much. I would say that most of our diving has been in the Monterey Carmel area. Yeah. I'm curious, just some other comparisons in terms of Cordell Bank and the other areas that you have dove, Monterey Carmel. I know there's a lot of pinnacles and, and little mounts off of, of uh, Monterey and Carmel. In what ways was it similar? I would say that the underwater underwater topography in some ways was similar. We we we, we still saw a lot of pinnacles. We still saw a lot of uh, uh, sharp drop-offs. They were a lot more pronounced at, at Cordell. Uh, we saw a lot of a lot of the similar uh, invertebrate life on the covering the the substrate. So, for instance, we saw a lot of strawberry anemones, these these bright pink uh, bright pink anemones that, that that tend to coat the uh, coat the surface. We saw uh, a lot of roughly the same types of rockfish and uh, and other sorts of fish, but the the balances of the those types of fish were very different. Mm-hmm. So, fish that, for instance, were very common in in Monterey were very uncommon. Uh, at Cordell Bank, and vice versa. How about evidence of human impact? Did you notice anything out at Cordell Bank that was obvious from human human impact? Well, I, I would say that there there are two direct pieces of evidence. One is there are these interesting circular holes that are drilled in certain locations of Cordell Bank uh, that I think have been uh, have been observed in the past and. There's a hypothesis that they're maybe from from an older naval installation. Uh, so we did see a couple of those. Uh, I would say that other than those, we saw one piece of fishing gear on the on the bank, and then maybe indirectly, and this was interesting to us, we saw far fewer big fish than we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Particularly compared to the Monterey Carmel area, where you may see some large vermilions or uh, other large, uh, large rockfish, and and we did not see those at Cordell, which which was surprising to us and pretty interesting. Yeah, maybe at those shallow depths, they're not quite there. I know that they've seen some larger fish at some of the deeper depths on some of the other monitoring trips, so that's an interesting observation. Um, the holes, I know there's. Um, some research going into that again. I know Bob Schmieder got very excited about this and did a lot of work. And I believe there's thought that it was some type of listening station back in the 60s or 50s. And um, I think he has he has a really quite an interesting story talking about his research on that. And and I know we have a local here, George Clyde, who is uh, on the Cordell Bank Sanctuary Advisory Council that is, is delving deeper into this topic. So we'll have more to know about that, hopefully, in the, in the coming year. But um, compared to uh, coastal locations like Monterey, Carmel, that are used a lot by people, I'm just thinking it must have been so different to see just an area that's relatively untouched by humans in terms of impact. I would say that what stood out to us most was the was the density of fish compared to Monterey Carmel. Mm-hmm. In Monterey Carmel, you you you, I would say that we very rarely see l- truly large schools of rockfish, and the rockfish that we usually see there are blue rockfish. Whereas every dive we did at Cordell, there were enormous schools of rockfish. 
they were all widow rockfish, which was interesting to us because that's a that's a type of rockfish that that we really don't see much in Monterey Carmel. Uh, but there were thousands and thousands everywhere on all of the dives at Cordell. Right. Now you went to three different sites within the Cordell Bank region, and this one was Cranes Point. And what were the others, and were they different from each other? I would say they were fairly different. The first the first site was Cranes Point, which is a I would say a, a, a pinnacle that's a little more squat than the other locations and that has a wall on one edge. And the conditions there were significantly different than the other two in the sense that we had a little bit less visibility. There was a surface layer that we didn't have at the other sites, and this is probably just day-to-day variation. Uh, but we also had significant surface currents at the first site that we did not have at the other two locations. So when you have a surface current, does that uh, affect how you descend down? It affects both the how you descend as well as, as how you ascend in, mm-hmm. in, in, in some sense. For With a, a surface current in a layer, we used a, a dive propulsion vehicles to basically uh, get through the surface current and stay on the site. You can think of this as sort of like a torpedo with a handle on it. Uh, that that pulls the diver along to to fight against the current because when you're wearing all of the gear that w- you would that you would need to use for a deeper dive, it's significantly more challenging to kick, kick against current. Right. Uh, so so I would say that that's one impact, and the other is that is that we do what you would call a, a drift decompression. So once we're done our dive on the bottom portion, we uh, the the diver sends up a. Uh, I guess you can think of it as a, it's called a surface marker buoy. So this is a, a, a basically a floating bag that's a, that, that the diver sends up on a line to let the boat know where the dive team is underwater. And on this particular site, when I sent up the surface marker buoy, the surface current was strong enough and the, with the layer on the surface that it basically pulled me along like a dog pulling on a leash. Wow. So I shot this up, and then I was holding on to it, and, and my dive buddy was kicking to, uh, needing to kick to keep up with me as, as this, uh, this surface marker is being pulled along by the surface current uh, that we didn't have underneath. So, so more or less we were getting zipped along underwater uh, being pulled by this, this marker buoy, which was, which was pretty amusing. That's quite an experience. It's a whole other adventure there <laughs> in terms of dealing with that current. Um, let's see. So... What do you think? Do you think you'd want to go back to Cordell Bank? I would love to go back to Cordell Bank. <laughs> the, I would say that there's a number of uh, logistical challenges that we'd like to improve on when we go back, but I don't think there's any question on in any of our minds that we would that we would like to do it. Yeah, that's great. And what would you tell other divers that were interested in diving Cordell Bank based on your experience now? I'd say it's a, it's a very challenging site, uh, both from a logistics of, of, of boat and gas planning to get everything you need on, onto the location, but more importantly from a, a diving standpoint. The site is deep, the currents can be unpredictable, the water is cold and it's fairly far offshore. Uh, so I would advise anyone thinking about going to Cordell Bank to uh, really make sure they're well-prepared for those sorts of conditions. Mm -hmm. So based on everything you've learned and you've experienced, what do you think other people should know about 
a place like this? Or what do you think other people should know about Cordell Bank? I would say that the the big takeaway for us was just the 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 sheer density of life. I think it can be difficult to appreciate why someplace like Cordell Bank uh, is important to the public, uh, because it's not a location that many people can directly observe. And I think we, we, we hope that we can we could give people some insight into it through the photos and video we provided. Uh, but having firsthand knowledge of it, I, I would really like to impress on people just the sheer amount of life that's present at this location and the, the, the diversity of life that's present on this location. Really stunning. That's great. So I, I want to thank you because you've made my job a little easier because I know that you all are talking with your friends and family about this amazing place. And you've helped make it a new story, too, for what makes this place so interesting and so important to keep our eyes on as a hope spot for the future. We're in a really challenging time now with ocean conservation and global warming and many other challenges. And I get really inspired by the photos that come back to, from us, come back to us about Cordell Bank with the amounts of fish and the diversity of life. It just provides a lot of hope for the future and, and hoping to sustain these populations as much as possible. So I want to thank you for helping to make that possible. Um, is there a website that you'd like to direct listeners to that could see some of your images? I know you have some video clips up there, too. Certainly. So so our uh, organization's website is www.baue.org, and that's the... Uh, that's the Bay Area Underwater Explorers website. And we have our Cordell photos under the uh, galleries and then projects. Yeah, it's pretty easy People to see. I find it from there. Yeah, I found it really quite easy when I was online. So really nicely done. Well, Matt, any other last words you'd like to share about your group and diving at Cordell Bank or other places before we uh, sign off? Uh, I would say that it, it, diving at Cordell Bank was certainly a privilege, and, and I'd especially like to thank the Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary and uh, Dan and, uh, and Caitlin, who helped us out a lot in terms of uh, giving us information on, on past projects as, as well as, uh, as helping this year be successful for us. And it's just a, a really incredible site. I guess I'd just like to, to leave everyone with, with that. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll definitely pass that on. And I really appreciate you calling in. I know you're traveling right now. And appreciate you calling in to share your stories today on the on the show. And I look forward to being in touch with you in the future. So thanks again. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer. All right. Take care, Matt. For folks listening, this is Ocean Currents, and we've just been talking with Matt Vieta, a diver with the Bay Area Underwater Explorers Group, a group of divers that took on a quite the challenge last year in diving Cordell Bank, a really challenging place. And it's so nice to hear people that get excited about this beautiful, amazing biodiversity. And I encourage you to check out their website at baue.org to see the photos from that expedition, but some of their other expeditions, too. There's some really great photographers and videographers to just see what some of the habitats are like in California here and how beautiful they are. 
I will sign off for now. You've been listening to Ocean Currents. My name is Jennifer Stock, and you've been listening to KWMR, and we'll talk to you next, next month. Take care. Thanks for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marine Community Radio KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov. Mm-hmm.